0: Hey everybody, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sacred Resistance Podcast. This is episode number 55, and today we had on Catherine Letzios, I think is how you say it. She's an independent patient rights consultant, and uh, she has a crazy story of basically like medical kidnapping. And uh, I won't say too much because it's a pretty long podcast, but uh, it's a wild story.
1: Yeah, I don't want to give too much away. I'll let Catherine share her story. I would be butchering it if I tried, and I don't know how you shorten it. But let's just say she's exposing medical corruption. Um, she's helping other people who have similar stories. She advocates for them, and she's teaching people how to, I guess, fight the system if you if you are in that headspace and or if you're going through something um, medical kidnapping um, medical gaslighting medical tyranny basically um, Catherine is your girl to reach out to and she can help guide you and um, help get you or help she's got a team of people as well so yeah if you um, find yourself
0: needing to involve yourself in the medical system and you feel like you're being bullied then she can be a big help.
1: Yeah, but Catherine's story is, it's horrible. Um, and it's amazing that she's on. She's able to share her story because what she went through, I can't even imagine. It takes a very strong person to be able to endure all that she has. Uh, so Catherine, uh, thank you for speaking out and for sharing your story and having your wits with you to... Uh, document absolutely everything and uh, not not uh, let down she's unbreakable
0: yeah hats off Catherine. you're a tough cookie
1: (laughs) so everyone listening thank you so much for being here this is our second to last episode of 2022 and uh yeah we're excited to to veg for a few weeks not really veg but get to work at our around our house
0: um
1: but we will be back in 2023
0: yeah yeah everybody enjoy the episode and uh we love you and if you're listening to this you are the resistance
1: the sacred resistance Hey everybody, one quick thing before you start listening to this episode. I just wanted to remind you that our store is up and running and we have some great new shirts, um, some... I Don't Co-Parent with the Government, Freedom Over Fear, um, some good little kid shirts that say uh, Wild and Free, and we have a few more that are coming down the pipeline, so please make sure to check out the website, it will be in our show notes.
0: Yeah, uh, put on some swag and represent, we got some good stuff, and uh, you can tell the world what you think.
1: Totally. And not to mention our Sacred Resistance logo, which the logo, in our opinion, is pretty awesome. We love
0: it. Yeah, totally. So look cool and speak your mind at the same time. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All
1: right. So thanks for being here, guys. We love you and enjoy the episode. We love y'all. Oh, I
2: woke up many years ago. (laughs) I yanked my child out of school in 2016. Um, yeah, no, I saw all of this coming down the pipeline, right. Um, which I think, in hindsight, helped me catch what was happening to me. Um, yeah. Oftentimes, I get asked, how the heck did you catch this? Or how did you know to do that? And I'm like, discernments, um, being diligent, being aware. Um, so essentially, um, I got really, really sick and I hate using that word sick, right? But um, my health started to decline in, um, in late 2019. And, you know, I much like a lot of people, I had a family doctor who would just, you know, negate or minimize things. Um, a lot of gaslighting i didn't i didn't even know what that term meant at the time but now looking back i know that was exactly like textbook what i was enduring yeah. but you know like we listen to our bodies and we know our intuition and we know something is wrong um and then you fast forward and you know this pandemic hit and that just uh it reaped havoc on the entire medical system as a whole um they had certain directives that they that we know now they they had to follow. And um, I was running in and out of ERs like crazy, like it was just insane, um, real symptoms where, you know, there would be hemorrhaging for 40 days at a time and and um, jumping from specialist to specialist. But yet they would tell me on all my reports, everything was normal. And if they didn't, um, they would minimalize it. It was like word magic. Like they do this thing on people's reports where they'll say mild pericardial effusion, um, possible pathological fractures, um, three biopsies in. um, It was crazy. So I guess... I decided to listen to my body and it was like, okay, well, this is not normal. It's no longer in my head. I'm being hospitalized for days at a time. They're, they're admitting me um, cardiac stuff where it's like the nurses having to unlock the, the nurse's cart to administer, you know, nitroglycerin to stop the, the mini heart attacks. And, and uh, you know, and the, in the doctors, the general consensus would be you need a family doctor to oversee this all. And it was like, well, I don't have one because in July of 2020, even though it was being televised that we could not cross that border, um, what I'm really good at is finding the loopholes and dissecting and leveraging and maneuvering through the systems in general. Um, More recently, I've gotten really good at navigating that medical system component, but um, I knew I found out that even though they were saying we could not cross the border, if you had a booked medical procedure across, they were not allowed to stop you. Okay. So I went and renewed my passport um, by appointment in person. They expedited it, had it ready within an hour. But I knew enough to book that MRI in in Buffalo, and. Um, it showed that there was tumors on my adrenal gland, you know, a cluster on my cervix that nobody here had mentioned in my Canadian reports, you know, as a woman, when you've given birth, right, you kind of know your anatomy. And it was like, I I fell on top of my records, I started dissecting them. Um, I had a functional medicine doctor, literally pull five years of my records where we're seeing my D-dimer was elevated to almost 3000. And that's our clotting factor, right? Like the, the range for that is 500 or less. Right. So I'm like, okay, this is like triple quadruple where it should be like, something's not right. Like my blood work, it's all coming back. Like nothing makes sense. So I crossed the border and I came back to like Mississauga where I reside and I walked into that hospital. And I have to be careful not to like say names and and, and list things right now on on, on this uh, episode. But I remember walking into the hospital where I had several specialists, like the gynecologist had done a biopsy. Uh, I had an internal medicine doctor. I had bladder cancer screening. So I had a urologist. I, I had several specialists within the Trillium Health System. And they booked me an appointment in person, which nobody was able to get in to do at that time, right? And it was with the manager.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: And it it was in the hospital in person and my internal medicine specialist was present, but the manager of all three Trillium sites was present. And I kind of threw down my Buffalo MRI. And I said to them, how is all of this being omitted on my reports that your hospital did? And uh, they looked at me and they said, how did you get across the border? I said, you're allowed to for medical purposes. That's not an answer. The better question is, why is what this MRI is depicting not on my reports here? At that point, the manager literally looked at me and verbatim, verbatim, she says, well, if you want to go across the border for your test, perhaps you should go across for your treatment. This meeting is over. There is no reason for any follow-up. And subsequently, the week, that the week that followed every single one of my specialists from that hospital dropped me from care.
0: Wow.
2: Just
1: because you went across the border.
2: Like how dare I flip the script on that system and come like go across into new york which was like the cesspool of 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 covid back then right and 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 and, and they were just absolutely disgusted it was very condescending um it was it was very it, it was horrible so i remember going outside at this point i could barely even drive my own car so i had gotten a ride there so i was waiting for my ride to pick me up and i don't know what came over me like Knowing where I am today and what I do today and how I've connected today, I didn't even know that it would go to where it is today, but I don't know how my intuition pulled me to pick up my cell phone when I was waiting for my ride and I called the number at the hospital and I got the CEO of that hospital on the line and I said to her, I'm not going to die quietly. I will have a protest outside your hospital if I need to. This is far from over. You are intentionally delaying diagnosis. Yeah. And that is not malpractice. This is malfeasance by definition. And I hung up on her. Following that, I had a third biopsy done. So the way that the way that their system goes, a, a doctor doesn't sign off on a biopsy unless they have a reason to believe that oncology is an issue. So I have three different physicians signing off on a biopsy, being gaslit. no family doctor at this point to be like the quarterback of it all. Right. right. And your family doctors generally, who's supposed to get all these results from all these different hospitals and specialists and, and piece it together to, to yeah. give a formal diagnosis. By this point, I could barely walk. My functional medicine doctor shortly after ordered Uh, ultrasound from the knee down and there was lumps but again in the reports the verbiage was possible lipomas lipomas are fat pockets right so possible lipomas um i was wearing a a heart halter to measure my like everything was just going nuts right and um you fast forward she says we're going to just send you over into toronto western um, because maybe they can figure it out. We thought still that if you went to a different hospital, it might be a clean slate. I hadn't figured out yet what I now know, like, cause I've researched this like 20 hours a day for two years. Um, and they cleared me. I remember going for, um, like an appointment and a test with the internal medicine doctors in the UHN network in Toronto, and they had cleared me. And she sent me, um, I, I, had gone in to see a cardiologist, uh, in Hamilton and I can't say the name of the hospital cause they're listed as defendants right now, but they admitted me for five days, like literally five days. And I remember saying to them, if there's pericardial effusion and which you're acknowledging what? it, which is like, you know, when there's fluid around your heart. Okay. And I remember saying to that doctor, and I have all of this recorded, like I, I had the discernment to document every conversation as soon as I was able to tangibly prove the errors.
0: Yeah.
2: And um, I remember saying to him, if there's pericardial effusion, there's one of two reasons. It's either metastasis or post-viral. So maybe there's a missed COVID. Maybe there's like, it's something's not right. Just put in a needle, drain it, send it to your pathology lab and just call it. Like, you have to call it. You can't not call it. I'm in here. And he looked at me and I omitted his name. I didn't include him because I met a lot of good doctors that that genuinely wanted to help. But I could tell that their hands were tied, you know, from from higher up. And he looked at me and he said, Catherine, I have to tell you right now that no matter what we test, it's all going to come back the same. Would you like us to put home care in place? And I'm like, so you're palliating me without a formal diagnosis. You're you're going to perpetuate this. Like,
0: yeah.
2: you know, I, 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 you know, this is not okay. So he says, what I can do is I can repeat your nuclear medicine bone scan, which is full body head to toe. So he tried. Because remember, the Trillium Health Partners were the first ones to do the bone scan. And that hospital, everything was saying that it was normal. So he agreed to repeat the test. I was still naive enough that I thought, oh, maybe it's a different radiologist. It's a different hospital. They might. Calls me a week later, tells me everything is normal. Like verbally gave me gave me that feedback. So I kind of was feeling really disheartened. You know, there's nowhere to turn. I learned really quick that you cannot go through patient relations department. I mean, they tell you to go there to file a complaint. But in essence, they're not third party contracted in like they it's almost like so the CEO that signs their paycheck is the same guy you're filing complaints against. Like they're there to appear neutral, but it's like smoke and mirrors. Yeah. So that was not very fruitful at all. And then she decided to send me to another specialist at UHN. And I drove there on the 20th of November, 2020. And. I parked my car coming off the Gardener from Toronto into Mississauga, and I was going up the steps just to get out of my dress clothes. I merely lost my footing. I did not fall. Like I state this constantly on the record, and there's some records where it claims I didn't fall, and there's other records where it says I did fall because they're screwing with the wording on my records, but I did not fall. And at the time, I knew my leg was broken. Like I've broken bones in my childhood, right? Um, I'm a boy, mom, my kids, like, so I knew I couldn't go to credit Valley, which was the closest geographically to my home address because they just threw me under the bus. All the doctors dropped me from there. They told me to go across and get my treatment. And I remember crying saying, I don't want chemo. I don't want radiation. I don't want surgery. I'm not going to take up a bed, but you cannot deny me a formal diagnosis. Right. Um, by this point also, they were you know, take morphine, take oxyneal twice a day, long lasting. Here's some Percocet to supplement for pain breakthrough. Um, here's some Dilaudid's. I have a prescription for Dilaudid's from Oakville hospital. And it's like, I don't
1: even know what that is. So well.
2: these are all opioids, Britt. Yeah. They're all opioids. I knew opioids. the other ones
1: were, but Dilaudid. So
2: how are you putting Like we have an opioid crisis in our country yeah, and yeah. you're putting a patient on opioids without a formal diagnosis. Like, is this even legal? Like I, I, so I knew enough that my organs were in trouble. So I knew enough to not touch it or take it. Um, and when my leg broke, I didn't want to go into the hospital that had just screwed me over. So I had them drive me into Halton, um, which is about 10 minutes out. And I thought, Oh, this, you know, it might be different because it's a different hospital, I didn't understand that Ontario Clinic Connect is their internal computer system. And what it does is no matter where you go within your province, one hospital to the other, they don't just see all your tests and results. They actually are able to read the clinical notes that they write in your chart on you. So I didn't know that, though, at the time. And I'll never forget how eerie it was. Like, I was being helped out of the house into their car so they could drive me there. And it was my driving leg that snapped. And I'm like, putting my hand on the hood of my Civic to kind of balance as I was limping to their car. The hood of my car was still hot. What if I had killed somebody on the highway, like minutes before my leg broke? I was driving. So. I went in through emerge and immediately they wanted to know my blood type. And I looked at my boyfriend at the time and I'm like, they're going to talk surgery. He goes, how do you know this? I'm like, cause they're screening my blood type. Like I can't wait to see these x-rays. Like how mangled is it? Um, So I went in surgery was potentially discussed. Um, I noticed a lot of weird things. They wouldn't let me drink or eat which is not uncommon before a potential surgery yeah. but i remember asking for ice chips at least cuz i was in shock it was very traumatic totally. um to, like out of nowhere with like so they wouldn't even give me ice chips being who i am i advocated they perceived this as being i guess hostile like which is like you not know, my nature when i'm especially when you're in there at their mercy family wasn't allowed to come in and visit at the time okay. And I do recall them calling security on me. They called security on me. And really? I immediately I immediately called my girlfriend, who's a paralegal. And I said to her, this is what's happening in here. I'm really scared. I don't know why they're calling security on me. And I feel really weak. At this point, my heart was having issues. My kidney and my adrenal gland I knew now had tumors. There was blood in my urine covered in dark black bruises weeks before my leg broke. So weak cognitively, I was unable to function, let alone form a sentence. And now my leg's broken. So I meet with the surgeon and he brings me the anesthetist. And they decide because there are so many tests pending and it's so complex, and I still had my third biopsy report pending that they were going to proceed non operatively because the anesthetist didn't feel comfortable putting me under which I'm thankful for today, looking back. Um, so it was so on I day two. that. Yep. And it was on day two and they wheeled me down to the fracture clinic. And I knew to get my friend on who's an osteopath. So she came on video call. Our kids went to the same private school and she threw weight on it. And she goes, look, I know bones. I've known her 10 years professionally and personally. She's really sick. Like she was the one who took me to the functional medicine doctor And I just want to add in, leading up to this, I said she pulled five years of my records. When we realized the errors that I brought back and the omissions that I was able to prove with my Buffalo MRIs, we started yanking the CD-ROMs, the actual physical discs that today they don't allow patients to pull unless you have me or my team or someone jumping in to, to, to force your, like... I can't even like go there yet in my story, but we pulled my discs and we had them reread second opinion radiology report in Florida. And we started noticing other errors and other omissions in other CT scans, aside from what my Buffalo MRI showed. And she was going really hard, like put herself out there for me, forcing the Ministry of Health here to acknowledge this, the, the new reports from Florida. So now it's not just my Buffalo MRI, it's CT scans from here that were being reread. So they knew that I was rereading things outside of the country and putting right. it all together. So on day two, they wheeled me down to the fracture clinic so I can do an x ray and they could set the bone the best they could and put on a cast. As I'm waiting after the x ray for the porter to come and take me back up to my hospital room, a nurse came out of nowhere I can't make this up like on life and dropped my entire leather binder of my clinical notes and my actual chart in my lap and she goes you didn't get this from me but I'm so tired of what they're doing to people in here you need to take pictures and read that fast So I opened, I opened it. So usually a patient doesn't really get to see this unless you know how to push through that white wall. What usually happens is they throw you to the records department. You pay a fee, you wait 90 days, they edit it, they polish it, they remove anything damaging. And then, you know, they send you an encrypted email. She gave me the wet ink notes and on page four of 98, I'll never forget it. I have pictures of every page. It said clear as day. Possible delusions. Site consult done on the phone with Doctor So and So, but behind my back on the phone. That's just so nefarious. But okay, what caught me is it. What happening. caught what? Yeah, and what caught me was it said multiple lawsuits in progress with other hospitals. I didn't even have a lawyer at the time. I didn't, so obviously those notes go with you to your x-rays, to your, yeah. they, they, they wheel the, the, the gurney, like, so when a radiologist reads this, it's more or less the gist of it is do not diagnose, like don't right. diagnose her, like don't call it. Right? right. Right. Um, so after seeing this, I took pictures and I fired them off to people that I knew for safekeeping. And on another page, it said. Two point restraints have been ordered if the patient becomes unruly, but I have a broken leg. I can't like levitate off the bed. What, how, what harm could I do? Like they were literally saying, you know, like two point soft restraints, which is when they tie you to a bed. Right. So I, I lost my shit and I called my cousin, and I'm like, I need to leave now. They're not going to do surgery anyways. We have decided to go non-operatively. They're refusing to work me up and diagnose this. I need to leave. Like, this is what I found. Keep it safe. Print it off because I don't know what's going to happen next. So I hit the call button and I recorded the whole conversation and I called the nurse and I said, I need my discharge papers. I'm going to sign myself out AMA, which is an acronym for Against Medical Advice, right? It's a form that you have the right to request. Mm
0: -hmm. And I
2: said, I'm leaving. Why is this written in my chart? Her immediate answer, and you can hear her on the recording, was, where did you get this? (laughs) And I said, well, there's eight nurses on your floor right now. You figure out where your whistleblower is. And and, And I left. And I rented a walker. I received a cast all the way to my hip bone, which was plaster of Paris, like cement. And as I'm going out to my friend's car with her fiance on camera, I did not fall. I merely pivoted on my left leg and it snapped.
0: Oh, my my gosh. gosh.
2: So this is the hospital you're scared and just signed yourself out of. And I have no choice but to go back in now. So I called my girlfriend who's an osteopath and it was almost like 10 at night. And I'm like, you need to come here now. My second leg broke. I don't know how I had the strength to even talk. Cause now I have four broken bones within like two days and she rushed over to the hospital and then she stayed until my best friend could come and then they traded off. She heard the nurses whispering about me outside my room. Um, I made such a stink That when they did the conscience sedation, which is not really putting you under general, but they do a sedation where you're asleep and they had to put fentanyl and morphine straight into my vein just to cut my Sorrel winter boot off my left leg. And when they pulled that off, my leg was like on a right degree angle, like my ankle, that leg shattered more than the first leg. And they put, I woke up and they allowed her to stay in the room. So she filmed the whole thing. I was like, I'm not doing this unless she can stay in the room. I don't feel safe because what was written before, which is why I signed off. Everything is safe in case something happens to me. It's being fired off to a lawyer right now. Like, if they're going to write that in my chart, you need to say what you need to say. So they let her stay in the room and she filmed it. And at one point, though, you can hear them say, Are you recording? You're not allowed to stand back. Please turn it off. So she stopped filming. When I woke up, she whispered to me, That machine flatlined and made a beeping noise. And when I asked them, they told me not to worry about it. And then they unplugged it. And I was so groggy. And now I'm in an actual hospital room. And the manager of the hospital has cleared her to stay with me 24 hours until I'm discharged. Nobody was allowed to come into the hospitals to visit dying loved ones. But they approved her brought her a bed to stay in my private room for four days and three nights until I was like out safe. Um, because they were doing damage control at this point. Right. 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 And, um, I said to her, which machine? And she pointed and I said, that's a telemetry machine that doesn't measure your heart that measures your respiration. And the machine was still on me in recovery in my room. And, I remember not being able to breathe, guys, but it was on the left side of my lung. But you're scared to say anything because of COVID, right? right. Um, And I knew it wasn't both my lungs. It was just only on the left side. And it felt like when you get in your car in the summer and the AC hasn't kicked in, but only on that side. So I rang the bell and I told the nurse, I need to see the doctor. I cannot breathe on the left side. She yanks my telemetry machine and pulls it out of the room. And that's supposed to measure my respiration only. And I I said to her, why are you yanking my telemetry machine? It doesn't make sense. I have a history of elevated D-dimer up to like 3,000 sometimes, which is triple where it should be. I have four broken bones. I could have thrown a blood clot into my lung. How are you pulling the machine off considering it flatlined when I was having the procedure done and asleep? And she whispered to me, you need to stop. Do you want to end up in ICU? it wasn't a threat she was warning me like like there was nurses in there that knew what was happening to people but couldn't and um I remember calling in I I just posted this memory on my Instagram actually I remember calling in the doctor and saying you know I can't breathe and he orders troponin blood work which is for my heart and they brought me a ECG machine. And I said, that machine measures my sinus rhythm only. My mom died a heart failure after her said everything was normal. It's not a full cardiac workup. And for the first time, sir, in a long time, my heart is okay. This is not an issue with my heart. I think it's in my left lung. I fought for three days at management level until they agreed to do a CT scan on my lungs. Don't you know that in the left lower lobe there was a pulmonary embolism? So they put me on blood thinners finally. And when I asked for my blood work, they wrote it on a post it. And I asked my private doctor to pull my blood work and email it to me. So while I'm in there, I'm still doing all this research for myself, which I do today for hundreds of other people. But like you're your own advocate. Mm -hmm. And I was piecing it together. And the blood work they gave me was omitting my hemoglobin. And the blood work she pulled an emailed to me included it, which showed it was dangerously low, like dangerously low. So again, I hit the button. Now I feel cocky and confident because they let my best friend be in the room. I'm not by myself, right? So I was raising some hell in there. And I'm like showing them my phone. I'm like, how is my hemoglobin dropped this low? And you guys are not telling me. Where did you get that? We're not like Life Labs and Dynacare. We don't post online. I said, so you think my doctor doesn't know how to go into your OLS, which is Ontario Laboratory Internal System, and yank it and email it to me? I don't think you guys understand. You need to stop, like stop. So the deal was I was going to be discharged the next day to go home, like just, it was too late at night to do it. And in the meantime, I was putting feelers out on my Facebook who can go into Hamilton at this hospital and pick up my bone scan. I was now convinced there's no way a month prior my nuclear medicine bone scan stated everything was normal. And now a matter of weeks later, I have four broken bones from the knee down. Clearly there was a medical error, right? There's no other explanation. So while I'm still in hospital, I'm having friends going and yanking records and discs, so I can start collecting it before they start yanking it. So that night, they came to me with a needle about this big, and I says to the nurse, "It's 3 a.m. This is a weird hour to be administering meds. Like, is it something new that the doctor wrote off, right? Signed off on?" She goes, "No, it's just heparin." I said, "But heparin is a blood thinner. What dosage is it at?" And she tells me. And I said, at that dosage, it is used to treat a blood clot, not preventatively, and you're saying that I need it on top of the oral blood pills, blood thinners that I'm on, but what would happen if a patient doesn't need that and you put it in me? Because my hemoglobin has dropped so low that if it drops 10 more numbers, I'm going to need a blood transfusion. Yeah. And you're coming at me with an injectable blood thinner into my belly. What would happen if you give that to me and I don't need it? And she goes, are you a nurse or something? Yeah. I said, it doesn't. And you can hear my friend, Melissa. She's like, it doesn't matter who she has answered the question. And she goes, well, you would bleed. I go bleed where? Like upper GI tract, lower GI tract. Like talk to me here because I'm already filling a bedpan with blood and you're coming at me with my hemoglobin drops. So that was like medical error number one that I caught that could have literally killed, killed me. Yeah. Right? So knowing all this, they make it difficult for me to get a transfer home. We paid $850 for the ambulance transfer home because I had a catheter in. And I had two broken legs all the way, like the casts were all the way to my bikini line on both sides. So I leave and I go back and I have three consecutive appointments with the fracture clinic at that hospital, but outpatients. And I knew enough to record this jerk. And he's telling me that the x-rays show that it's healing fine and we should just continue to proceed non-operatively. But you know your body, right? Like, you know, you, you know what's what's going on. And I'll add that while I was in there, my functional medicine doctor was sending urgent faxes to Toronto Western, where I left and drove home from when it first happened, stating that my patient is now in Oakville Hospital. She's with two broken legs. The second one occurred merely by pivoting on her good leg. They were refusing to work her up and diagnose because apparently you guys started over there. You might want to call your colleagues at Oakville. She's under the current care of Dr. So-and-so with an elevated D-dimer. So she called them out. Like she made sure it was part of my like on record. Right. So I go home and after these consecutive three appointments, three Fridays in a row, it was Christmas break. So in those three weeks being me, I dissected it and researched and loopholes. And I'm like the Atlantic, The Atlantic is the safe bubble, right? The Atlantic bubble, right? Nobody could come in. Nobody could go out. There was no COVID. It was safe there. They had no biopsies canceled, no reason to not diagnose, not one single COVID death apparently documented there. But you could get into the province in that island if it was for compassionate care, like family and compassionate care, if you were a travel nurse or if you were a student returning from school. Those were the only three loopholes allowable to enter that safe Atlantic bubble at the time. And it's like four or five weeks after my legs broke and I go, what do I have to lose? I figure it out now that the Ontario Clinic Connect, no matter where I went here, it was gonna just keep following me. At this point, I had gone through uh, 40 doctors, five cities, 11 different hospitals. So I needed to leave the province. I researched it and knew that my OHIP is good in any province up to six months. And I met the criteria to come in under compassionate grounds and family care. So I went to stay with my aunt and uncle in that province. And they had nothing closed, guys. It was like I was like in a time lapse compared to Ontario. Like I went and got my nails done. I ate the best clam chowder in person at a restaurant, no masks, uh, no COVID, n- nothing. Before I drove there 18 hours with a catheter in, in, two, in two casts, oh on, Jeez, I drove across. I got the approval to get in under those grounds. I made sure because I could see that they were building a mental health case against me here, yeah. trying to discredit me. My functional medicine doctor says, don't you speak to a psychiatrist if it's through a hospital. It's not unbiased. Second of all, you have organic evidence. You've taken pictures, documented things. You're not crazy. It's not in your head. Yes. And she said, I'm going to give you a requisition for fracture follow-up care in PEI to show responsibility and continuity of care. Like you're not running from anything, but you have the right to go stay with people there that can help you. You're not able to take care of yourself right now. It was so fresh still. So I went there, did my quarantine like a good little girl for two weeks and then walked into the fracture clinic appointment, which was pre-booked before I even left here. I knew enough to safety guard myself that way. And they did x-rays and I'll never forget. It hit me like a ton of bricks because that doctor in the hospital says, when did you say this happened? It's like, like late late december almost new years right and i'm like november 20th and november 23rd sir why he goes the bones look like they just broke yesterday there's no healing
1: wow said, there,
2: there's there's no healing wait but and i made the mistake in that moment to say but the doctor in ontario the surgeon said three appointments in a row three weeks in a row that they were healing great like it's okay we can admit you and figure this out so reluctantly, I allow them to admit me. And I thought I was going to get a full workup, right? I said, no, I don't want another biopsy. I shouldn't have done as many as I did. It's likely what made it spread into the bone marrow and whatnot. And, and um, they started doing cardiac stuff. Then the internal medicine doctor came literally to my bedside and When I say fluffed me over, fluffed me over, like if he spent five minutes bedside at the most. Um, And they wheeled me down to the basement level where they had their vaccine clinics. And it struck me as odd, guys, that this was a province where there was no COVID deaths unless they were hiding their numbers, right? Like that's still a possibility, but you know, your, your discernment goes, okay, so there's no COVID deaths in PI. Everything is open because their numbers are so low. This Island is predominantly seniors and they're rolling out the VACs here before Ontario. And it felt so creepy being on that level of the hospital, like knowing what we know now about transmissions and this, that, and the other. So, You know, I was grateful that I wasn't alone and I was able to have somebody there with me 24 seven. So I went down and did the test and then they removed both of my casts, though. So this was the first time I felt all four broken. Areas at once, like. together because remember first the first leg broke and I got a cast which does minimize pain levels and then my second leg broke so I never had felt before what four broken bones were like at one time unsecure like no casts on now so they wrote on my chart that the patient was being uncooperative and refusing morphine by injection. But I need to keep my wits about me, right? I need to be coherent. I need to stay cognitively aware. Like, um, and I was very careful not to say a lot. And I brought with me all of my discs. Before I left here, I made sure I made multiple copies of my hard copies and my discs. I left them with people inside and outside of Canada and multiple households in case I didn't make it back. And I'm glad that I did because they did a CT scan from here, all the way down to my toes. And you can tell, you can feel the vibe in the room, the whispering behind the glass, when you're getting the test done, the nurses whispering as they're pushing you back to your room. And they came to me with a clipboard and they said, could you sign your consent
0: for us to act?"
2: Refusing to sign off on them to, receive the like to to, I wouldn't consent for them to access my discharge summaries and clinical notes from Ontario like what bearing does that the whole point of a clean slate and unbiased so I didn't understand that but in hindsight I'm like well how often do they get someone this sick coming through here from another province right there like the backstory like what this girl must have a like so I Used to. Sorry, the phone just slipped off. That's okay. I'm gonna put I'm gonna put my other phone to hold up this phone. The crazy, the craziness that they make us go through, right?
0: Yeah.
2: We're gonna edit out that part.
0: Yeah.
2: So, and it's really triggering for me to talk about this. So as I'm watching myself, I'm getting really, really twitchy, like borderline Parkinson's crap. It's nuts. But I remember saying to them, "I I do not consent."
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And um, I said that, that this shouldn't really matter. It has no bearing in your ability to work me up and, and, and diagnose. And they're like, Catherine, we're trying to help you. And I'm like, then tell me why my legs broke.
1: Yeah.
2: And the, the surgeon there. Uh, so I said no. Um, and then that was that. So I thought. And the surgeon there was saying. Why would you lie to us and tell us there was a blood clot? So. I quickly got my, my good friend who actually owns the private school where my, my child attended for a lot of years. And I got her on the phone and I'm like, can you please send me a copy of that prescription from shoppers in Ontario? Like I I knew who to leave my stuff with. And, and I said, Oakville Hospital said that I had a pulmonary embolism on my, my left lower lobe, and they put me on blood thinners before I even got here. So I'm not lying. That's what they told me. Now you're telling me that there's are solid nodules on my lung, which actually, you know, prompted me to start pulling more records while I'm laying in the hospital bed. Every time they weren't in my room, I was researching like nobody ever has before. And then I noticed the language on those reports from that hospital in Oakville. And it was like ill defined densities, like ILL, like ill defined densities in the left lower lobe, in keeping with a PE, which meant they appear to be in keeping with, like, similar to a pulmonary embolism. I'm like, oh shit, like, it was nuts. So I'm now even more confused and scared. And I'm like, well, I have her on, while I had her on the phone, right? Her parents are in my hospital room with me.
0: That's yeah. my, aunt.
2: that's my aunt and uncle for all intents and purposes, right? Like they, yeah. were, so it's, it was her parents. I stayed with there wow. and, and, uh, she's throwing weight on this with the surgeon and I had her on speaker. So now there's like her, me, the surgeon and her dad in my hospital room. And I said to them under section one, 8.3 of the criminal code of Canada, I can record this conversation because I am a party in this conversation. I'm not sharing a room with another patient. Enough is enough. You you can't tell me you're going to operate and fix my legs. Like they're like, oh, I don't know why the surgeon in Ontario told you that you could proceed non operatively. Um, This is so shattered that it would need open reduction, not closed reduction. And I said, okay, great. But before I can give informed consent for the surgical procedure, you need to give me my risk factors. No. Yeah. And he stopped and he stopped and he goes, what do you mean? And she reiterated on speakerphone. She goes, well, if her bones broke because of metastasis and cancer moving into the bone marrow versus if her bones broke when she fell off the roof, hanging Christmas lights, don't the risk factors vary? And he goes, of course they do. So I looked him dead in the eyes and I said, Until I have a formal diagnosis, then I cannot consent to this surgical procedure. And
1: At this point, I still can't believe you don't have some sort of diagnosis.
2: Everything was minimalized. Like we knew there was cardiac stuff. I was on blood pressure pills for too high, blood pressure pills for too low. They threw me on medication to just stop the bleeding without wanting to tell me why the vaginal bleeding was happening. It was like nuts. But this is what they do. And I'll tell you why in a second they do this to people. So I said to him, well, with all due respect now, I have two completely opposite, like, like they were very extreme. Like I have two polar opposite surgical suggestions from two different surgeons in two different provinces. So with all due respect, since you're not going to diagnose me, you can put my cast back on so I can go back to Ontario decompress, have a meeting with my family, and decide how I'm going to proceed. Because I literally now have two surgeons telling me two very different things. It was at that point where they told me I'm not allowed to leave. What? Um so I talked about this a little bit on my other podcasts. So they said to me that you are not allowed to leave. And I go to the nurse because the surgeon left. He left. And you can hear him on my audio recording. He's like, why did you come here, Catherine? And I said, why did I come to your province, Or why did I come to your hospital? Like at this point, I'm patronizing them right back. Like I've had it up to, right? Uh, And I'm like, just, you need to put my cast back on so I can catch a flight home. Like clearly you're not going to help me either, right? Like I just want to go home to my kid. Like, uh, And uh, the nurse goes, you can't leave. And I said, excuse me? And she goes, doctor, so-and-so has put you on a form. I looked at her. I didn't even sweat it. I don't know by the grace of God, how I remained like looking back in hindsight, like how I remained so calm, but having the background I have in psychology and, you know, I've had to form my sister just to get her into detox years ago. Like, it's not easy. Like it involves doctors and paperwork and sometimes judges and court orders. And I'm like... Okay. So I said, I I looked at the nurse and I said, I'm on a what? And she goes, you're on a form. So I took a deep breath and I said to her, all of this is recorded, right? I go, I need to talk to your like manager, your hospital. Like, I don't want your charge nurse. I want, I want the manager of the hospital at my bedside. And you got 10 minutes. And she's like, why? And I said, Because when you execute a mental health form 1A, it's called 1A, under the Mental Health Act of Canada, you must provide me with a hard copy within one hour so that I can contact an attorney. It's no different than an arrest paper, right? Like when when you're placed under arrest. She didn't like that I knew that. So she left. And I looked at my friend's dad, who was my uncle while I was there. Yeah looked at him when we were alone finally in the room and I said they're going to separate us for up to 72 hours they're going to take my phone I need to text you a template I need you to throw it out to every news channel across Canada you can think of he's like why can't you do it I'm like because I need to get a human rights lawyer on the phone now like this like so I typed my name is Catherine Letzios I reside permanently in Ontario. I'm at Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Prince Edward Island. I'm being held against my will and they're refusing to tell me why. And he, I knew they're not going to run my story because before I even left to go to that province, my team and I were back and forth with CTV news reporters like Avis Favreau. I have emails collectively that I want to post, but I can't do it on social media. They'll just yank my account down. Right. but where they're where they're egging you on for weeks collecting evidence and then telling you they can't run the story we know now why mainstream media can't run these situations right right? but it's like it was arbitrary like where who were they collecting it for right like and this was Avis Favreau she's known to do nothing else like she's got Grammy Awards under her belt for running stories on medical errors right she so I knew that there's no news channel that's going to run this but quick thinking i also knew that he shot it out to cbc vancouver cbc halifax cbc toronto like like 20 different news channels but what i know is that those reporters have to call the pr department within yeah. the hospital to do fact checking right? right so now they're scared wondering who the hell is this chick like like they're they're shitting bricks and they're like they're probably being flooded with phone calls f- from news channels So this lady comes into my room about 10 minutes later and she says to him, are you recording? You can't record this. So he goes, Oh, okay. Sorry. And he turns off his cell phone. I'm still documenting. And later tell me her name. And she goes, Holly. And I said to her, Holly, in what capacity do you work? And she says, I'm just floating the hospital. I'm acting manager. I know from being in enough IEP meetings within the school board before I left that, that system, uh, my kids being, you know, exceptionally gifted special needs. Uh, I know what the word acting means. And what that means is they find somebody usually at the bottom of the seniority that is not liable. If they make an error, because that's not really their job position. They're just acting in place of right. right. So it's a lot of semantics, a lot of like logistics. They they, they play games. And I said to her, Holly, In your capacity as an acting manager, I need to inform you that, like, I need to meet certain criteria for a doctor to put me on a form. And unless I meet that criteria, you cannot implement a form 1A on a patient. I'm not suicidal. I just drove halfway across the country to try to save my life.
0: Yeah
2: you have to at least show me that and she starts shaking you can hear it in her voice you can hear me patronizing her like guys it's not like it wasn't my proudest moment i was not very well composed and i'm like you want some water uncle ian get her some water holly would you like to sit down i go listen to me carefully you you need to produce that paper i need to see it because i got lawyers on three-way now we got two phones going from ontario jumping in and uh She was just shaking. Her hands were shaking. I can't get a hold of the doctor that put you on this form. So I'm not sure if I'm allowed to let you see it. Cause, like I said, I'm just floating the hospital and you can hear me say it. Like, I'm like, so at 3 p.m., there's nobody in charge of this hospital. Like, that's fine. Just read me what's on there. I know they didn't want me to see it because they don't want me to see what date. There's a date on this. Who knows how long of those five days I was put on that form, right? Because when you're on a form, they don't need your consent not to give you anything, not to access your clinical notes and discharge summaries, which I was withholding, right? So they put you on that to remove your capacity so that they can do anything without your consent. So I said to her, okay, fine, just verbally read me them. And you can tell she was shaking. And she goes, reason number one, the patient appears to be very paranoid and guarded. Reason number two, the patient's insight is questionable. And reason number three, the patient refuses to sign consent to access clinical notes and discharge summaries. As soon as she was done reading it, I took a deep breath. I felt so empowered. And I said, under Section 16.2 of the Criminal Code of Canada, this is nothing more than forcible confinement. You are complacent. None of those three reasons listed meet the criteria to put a patient on a mental health form. So you have one hour, Holly, to put me back on voluntary and get my discharge papers. Otherwise, you are complacent. Wow. Right. And I said, and let me quickly dismantle this for you. If I was clinically paranoid, like I've I've studied psychology, right? I go, if I was clinically paranoid, I would not be be eating your shitty hospital food for like five days. And as for me being guarded, your hospital staff for the last two days is walking in here in pairs, if not threes, probably orders from higher up. And that's number one. I said, my insight is not questionable. I can read my labs. My insight is so on point that I have documented multiple physicians and staff in your hospital asking me if I have medical background. So don't tell me that my insight is questionable. Now, the last reason I said to her that I was refusing to sign consent for you to access my stuff from Ontario, now that makes more sense. So you see your hospital, put me on a mental health hold so that you can actually access that. And you've all read that already without me even, you don't need my permission now and who knows what else you've done to me. So she leaves, she leaves. And I I started crying and I, and I looked at him and I stopped recording and I said, I told you something was wrong three days ago. So remember how I said my legs were for the first time without any casts on Yes. And when they move me to the CT, guys, these are unsecured, severe, severe fractures. And they moved me from my bed. It's called like a, a flat sheet move onto the gurney yeah. down to the CT room from that onto the CT machine and then all over again. So when you're being moved that way, like if you've seen the x-rays that I posted on my Instagram page, you can see literally fragments like the boat shattered. So I asked for morphine. I said, can I just have a little bit of pain management? I feel nauseous. I can't tolerate this pain. And I have a high pain tolerance. So I remember her coming and giving me one injection right here. And I remember saying to the nurse at that time, I didn't know morphine can be given intramuscularly. I thought it has to be an IV. I thought it has to be an oral pill. Oh, no, no. We give it in the arm. I was so distraught, so desperate. So my pain decibels were crazy that I just went along with it. And I remember it's swelling. And I remember drawing with a pen because my son's anaphylactic. So I know enough to draw like, you know, when you draw, yeah. So, yeah. So you can see if it's right. So they said it was a hive. I go to them, this is not a hive on my arm, because it's it's an allergic reaction. Something's really wrong. I've had morphine in the past very few times. Um, but I also feel no pain relief. And considering I have low tolerance for pain meds, I should have felt some type of relief. And she says on the recording, well, the doctor ordered a sliding scale from five to 10 cc's. So we'll just add another five milligrams. And she comes back and the same thing. second time in the arm. Now everything, lips went blue, ble- breathing started getting weird. Oh I'm like, gosh. right, right. This was days before I figured out they put me on a mental health hold. So again, They were rolling out jobs in this province. They were like, who knows? I I was so scared at the time that I just wanted to get out. I just wanted to get out. So they agreed to put me back on voluntary. My functional medicine doctor called me on my cell phone and says, the orthopedic surgeon has asked me to call him. I go, I just fought my way off of a medical kidnapping. She's like, what? She goes, listen, my name's all over your shit. I even gave you a referral to go there to a fracture clinic, right? She goes, I can't not call him back. And I'm like, remember, this is the only one that's gone to bat for me, right? And I'm like, you need to give me until noon to get out safe. She goes, you have until 11, you need to get out. Like, I have to call him back. And the conversation they had was, my patient has breaks in her bones, geometrically exactly where the lumps were documented and bruising was happening months prior. It's not a coincidence. Instead of possible lipomas, is it not? more probable that they're osteosarcomas, which is precursor to, you know, bone tumors.
0: Right.
2: She fought so hard for me. I just needed to get out. So I go to their apartment. I book a flight home. I just booked a flight home. Like I was, but I ordered my records. I wasn't leaving there without my imaging, my discs and all my paperwork, including my mental health form. I want to see it. Right they stonewalled me and stalled so much that I missed my first flight home like I'm like I'm not playing I'm not leaving without my paperwork and stuff so somebody knocked on the door of their condo and it was like the way a, a police officer would like knock on the door
0: yeah
2: and I said to them they're seniors right I'm like do not answer that door and they're like why so I wheeled myself over to, to that door. Mind you, they finally put my cast off from my knees down before it was planked. So when both your legs are planks, I had no choice, but to drive into that province. But now that my cast are below my knee, I can get on the plane. I can right. bend my knee. Like, so they said that they were from adult protection services. Adult. Yes. not child like adult protection services and I know that this system exists okay and it's there it, it's there to serve a purpose like you know if you see your next door neighbor beating the crap in the front lawn of his father-in-law who has Alzheimer's or like yes. I, I, I get it but again that overreach and I said what can I do for you and they said oh we have an anonymous uh call come in from someone in the community saying you're not coping well I'm like, well, it's February 3rd. My leg's broken in November. I think I'm coping still great because, you know, I'm just here on Christmas vacation and I'm waiting for a flight home. I'm fine. And then it was like, okay, well, I guess we'll close the file unless the doctor deems you medically unfit to make that decision. And it was so spooky that that night they moved me into a motel and paid cash. At that point, one of my girlfriends here in Toronto said, I know somebody with a really big platform and he can get your story out there in case you don't make it back here. Like this is serious. (sighs) So I let her contact Chris and Chris did a live on my story. I never even had an Instagram. I didn't know that there was a movement, let alone so many people that were aligned and figured out what I had figured out. Like I no longer was alone. Right. I, I felt an influx of community support, like overnight, five hundred followers, right? Like he just yeah. put the story out there, and then the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms re- reached out to me. Also, um, you know, are you safe? Are you at an undisclosed location? Do you need help with the flight? This home is
1: crazy,
2: right? So I sent them copies of it. Like I sent them copies of the medical kidnapping form that they call the form. I sent them, you know, a little bit of evidence um and then Tamara from Rebel like got a hold of me Project Veritas and I were on the phone uh you know I froze though so like I left a lot of them hanging at the time cuz I was still new I wanted time to look into it what are these people what do they do like it was all so new to me yeah. I never saw a rally um and I was like holy crap there's an actual big like th- this is like people are awake like it's not in my head and I finally got all my paperwork, and I got all my discs, like this much, guys. like it's five inches high. So I stayed in that hotel room just reading through all of it, all of it, all of it. And on one of the pages, I highlight the word metastasis. Metastasis is the medical term when your cancer moves from one organ to the other.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. So I started, like there was keywords. And on the 10th page, and I posted it on my Instagram, but I blacked out the nurse's name. All my COVID questions were marked yes. So like pre, pre-planned COVID death, like I, I cannot make this up. Yeah. And I remember, okay, if there was one or two, like I saw I saw it it was revised, right? So it says correction made on this date from yes to no. Correction made from this date on yes to no. All the way down the list, like fourteen. You know the symptoms, like do you have fever? Do you have cough? Yeah. Do you? Have, yeah. I'm like anyone who knows me knows that I would have said no to all of those questions. Yeah. And this was not a error on their part. It was it was literally so nefariously like, okay, we're gonna finish her off. Like this one's gonna right. like, who am I to just dismantle this and have the evidence to prove it? Right. Yeah. So I got really scared, and I remember talking with nurse Erin in Florida at the time. Yeah. Cause yeah. that's the first time Kristen, God bless her. That's my first encounter yeah. with Kristen, with Kristen. And yeah. she's like, I need to document your entire story. You might not make it back. Like, so I did an interview with her, right. And it sits on YouTube to this day. I might recirculate it now. Cause you know, the, the tides have turned, yeah. but she's like, I just need to get your entire testimony. And she, she literally captioned it, the corruption within testimony of a hospital patient. Like, we didn't put names there because we didn't know what was going to happen. I couldn't find a lawyer. I know now that that also was systematically designed. Yes. Um, you know, our federal government went and retained over 80% of all law firms across this country. Um, From personal injury lawyers, medical lawyers, human rights lawyers, employment lawyers, you know, to do their dirty work within their unions and stuff. So when you are going through a divorce, you can't use the same lawyer as your husband. It's conflict of interest. So every time we were calling lawyers to help me, they would collect evidence and I didn't know. So I was like saying a bit too much. And then they would say, sorry, we can't take this case on. It's not any other reason other than conflict of interest. I know that today. So. I was ready, and I booked my second flight. I did the recording with Kristen. Kristen's like, "I need you to talk to Nurse Erin," you know what? Yeah, what yeah. she blew up in in those New York hospitals. Yeah. And I got on the phone with Erin, and it was like an hour and a half, and it was like so comforting. Like I'm not crazy. Like there was times when I was actually questioning my own like my own sanity. And she's like, no, 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 they're killing people in these hospitals and calling it COVID. Like I cannot believe you caught this. And I said, I think they were scared. So they didn't even bother to hide it. They just made the revisions. They didn't redact it and they gave it in my files. And I, I sent her a picture of it. I sent it to Project Veritas. I'm like, they changed my COVID questions. They were trying to force me into the OR. I knew that my organs and heart were not okay to sustain a surgery. Yeah. yeah. And, and and thank God I refused. I fought my way off of medical kidnapping and they would have called it COVID had I died. Yeah. They also wrote on my paperwork, no next of kin.
0: What?
2: No, like, no next of kin. I, I can't make this up. Like one day I'm going to just post it all. Like on a Telegram, maybe I'll create one when I learn how. Um, so Air Canada calls me and tells me that their doctor, because every every airline has their own doctors, I guess, I learned this, um, will not fear me for flight unless I had a certain procedure done. And I said, why? And they said, because you can get something called compartment syndrome at that altitude. And if there's not room within the cast for the leg to expand, you could blow like a blood right. vessel. You could... So I go, what do I need to do? They go, you need to go back to the hospital and they need to do a procedure called bivalving both of your casts from the knee to the ankle. And what that means is just cutting a line with the the saw so that there's room if it needs to expand. And I'm going to the airline. Like, there's no point explaining to them what happened to me because I'm going to sound batshit crazy. And I'm like, I can't do that. Like and it's an island. So there's no other there's no other hospital. Like and I'm like, okay, what do I do? So then I made sure that I allowed Chris. Um and I know that, you know, a lot of people don't like his his demeanor. And sometimes, you know, he can be a little bit hot headed, but at the end you of the day, Chris Sky, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. And so you know, he, he's not everybody's cup of tea. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, I think I owe him. My life. Like he put my name out there on the map. Like I had 500 followers ready to post at Montreal should they not let me connect to Pearson because I had a layover. Like we're going to convoy you back home to Ontario. Like just the support that flooded in. Right. um And in his live video, he's like, I've never had like 70,000 views in an hour. Like people were hashtagging shame on you, Doug Ford Nation, shame on you, Oakville Hospital. Like I knew now that they're watching. But they know I'm not going to be quiet. I'm not going to just disappear quietly. Like this doesn't, yeah. not going to happen, right? So I reluctantly went back into the ER the night before my second flight. Because I booked my second flight. Because I missed the first one. But now I have a duffel bag, a carry-on of all my paperwork and all my discs. And I went into the hospital scared. I've never been so scared in my life. Like to go, to have to go back in. And they had the clipboard ready. Like I posted this also when Adam Skelly's case got thrown out on jurisdictional bullshit and they made me sign it. I signed it under duress. Like I need to do whatever I need to do to get home. What do you mean? Like, but it literally was on letterhead from, from, from the hospital. And it stated that if I was to bring any kind of legal action against Queen Elizabeth Hospital or health, PEI, or entities therein. I could only do so in their, like in their own governing jurisdiction. Uh, right, right. So I signed it. I was grateful they let me leave. They didn't pull no- nothing quick, right? Like they, I think they knew. Like by now, they were wondering who is this girl. Like, wow. um, and then I get back into Ontario. And I decompressed, caught my breath, started putting everything together, made multiple copies. I took it old school on like external hard drives, USBs, right? Uh, Audio recordings, discs, paperwork, photocopied, multiple copies in multiple households in and out of Canada. Made a video if something should happen to me, put it all out there, right? Um, And started pivoting my focus on, okay, I'm not going to find a lawyer, I do have a two-year statute of limitations, so that can wait. I need to heal right now. I yeah. need to not die, right? So I started looking into alkalining, alternative, like researching that way. And if anybody who knows me knows, I'm I learn really fast. And I am to like
1: with everything you've been
2: through. Right. So I connected really well with a lot of the doctors that are speaking out right now. Um yeah. I remember calling one of them, I won't name her on here, and I'm like, they're coming after your license. I need you to utilize any part of my evidence package to demonstrate the corruption within your college of physicians, like as a governing body. Yeah. Like like and and it turned into never mind me and my license. Do you have a formal treatment plan? What are you doing? how can we help you? Right? So it just became like a tsunami of resources beneath me. And my functional medicine doctor goes, we don't need a formal diagnosis to treat you. Okay. We can start treating one layer at a time when you understand orthomolecular medicine. And I got really deep into the biohacking. You can manipulate your cells to heal you can slow it down and by time while you're doing alternative treatments mind you none of it's covered by OHIP, right all yeah. of it's super expensive people jumped in raised money raffles go fund me the whole nine so i think today the level of healing like i still can't stand up and walk because what they did is they casted my legs when they let me leave the hospital but they never set the bone it was like oh a big gosh. like a big fu to me right yeah, uh, before I went on my way. So fast forward here, Credit Valley was my hospital in my jurisdiction, in my postal code. And I said to them, I cannot go back there. I have filed complaints with the College of Physicians. They have dismissed my complaints frivolously, thrown them under the rug. Meanwhile, they have no problems going after doctors and licenses, right, for their moral compass without a single patient complaint. Like what, like it was just yeah. insane. Just So yeah, so I started like, organically, it turned into advocacy, like I didn't sign up for this, like it just, I, it like, life threw me into it. And the way I had learned to maneuver the internal politics of their systems, I was memorizing things, the more families that we were jumping into to help, right? Like, not all hospitals had the same policy in place. Like, how come in Brampton, you had to be vaccinated to visit? But in Oakville, you didn't have to be vaccinated to visit. Same exact day, right? Two different cities, same province. So I started to really dissect that. So my brain's like a human algorithm. Like I, I just, and I can feel things 10 steps ahead. Mm-hmm. So it organically grew into that where I was like yanking patients out of the hospital where ICU doctors would be on the phone with me not knowing who the hell is this chick. But I'm not obligated by law to identify, right? Or they would be like, do you have medical background? I would say yes, but you're not asking me if I'm a doctor. Technically I'm not lying. Right. Like I'm lifting really heavy weight here. I'm getting people in to see their loved ones when they're not allowed to. Um, Situations like, you know, Kristen sometimes would share them out on her stories just, just to help me if I needed a resource, like, or a nurse for private hire or, and I can read labs. Right. So when they were talking to me, they didn't question who I was and, the demand got so large that I had to I had to grow my team, yes. and it's like, how do we take this now? Like, I need to create a like. Yes, they're building new health paradigms, and yes, we're decentralizing education, which I I think you guys know. I, I'm really passionate about, and on those you know Ontario leadership meetings, and I'm I'm close with Jeanette from Refound Ed, and like we're working together. And I also sometimes do the supplementary programs for the youth, right? Like workshops. Mm-hmm so it's like the health sector and the educational stuff but it's in my blood to want to dismantle that so how do i create a system where i can catch people as they're pulling out because they don't make it easy right like to pull out that system and And people don't
1: know the the knowledge
2: that you have well that's what what my doctor woodbridge said she's like People don't know this. So when I get vaccine injured people that are telling me, I know what my body's saying, but my reports are saying everything's normal. I'm like, yeah, they don't want to report it at the hospital. Did they catch on that you're aware? Because if you don't play stupid, like, like they're never going to, like, listen, I can teach you how to take your discs and how to put them in your disc reader and upload them and have an outside of Canada second. To pivot. But it became to the point where I'm not working.
1: Yeah,
2: And it was like by donation or yeah. everything feel my time is worth but it became really heavy because like as an empath too it's a constant struggle to not to not like absorb all of it right yeah yeah It, it just became it just organically became something and I just found the right partners and we went and um created a system basically that will jump in sometimes lawyers are sending me family is going, we're ready to draft a letter and have this newborn discharged mother refused vitamin K, they called CAS. What do you need from me, we need you to jump in and talk to the ICU doctor, just make sure you can get them to admit the child is stable. That way we can draft the letter and yank the baby out. And then it's like, baby's home safe. Job is done. But now I have to force close that CAS file, because I can also navigate that really well, right. And I just had to grow my team. And I remember talking with Jobless Jobs, like they're awesome. George is awesome, and he's like, okay. "Why would you incorporate provincially, and why would you guys not incorporate federally?" And I'm like, "Truth right. be told, truth be told, I just don't feel confident enough." to navigate the other provinces because i know ontario laws bylaws yeah. legislations federal municipal like you know what i mean provincial hospital cas school board system i can't do that for other provinces yeah. and it's very difficult to train somebody to, get, to do what what was right And he's like, well, what if we create jobs? What if we hire people in other provinces to come on board? I'm like, I don't think we're there yet. Like, cause I'm still really sick. Right. And all the treatments I'm doing. And it's like, I have, I had to do it very slowly, but it's at the point now where we're kind of sort of out there. Right. And, and I, you know, I would be messaging Kristen, like I'm going to pull them out and I'm going to throw them to you guys. Right. So I'm helping you pull out of the system Like, people are getting CAS and child services called on them because they want to homeschool if their children are special needs. Like, the overreach is absolutely insane.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. I've often often told families do not sign that consent when they give you that paper that says third party consent so we can communicate with your doctors. But no.
0: Yeah, like, no, they're they're going to talk to your doctors
2: anyways, but they can't use it in court unless you sign this, right? right? And I explain to people, Children's Aid Society is a not-for-profit organization. They're not government. They allow people to believe that they're a government entity, but truth be told, they're not. Like, they merely receive predominantly their funding from federal governments, but they're not governments. Kind of yeah. like... Children's Health Defense, they're also yeah. not, not for profit, but Amanda will never accept federal funding, like for example, right? Like it's, there's so much illusion. So I tell them always, they don't have jurisdiction unless you consent. And the onus falls on them to tell you where on their eligibility spectrum tool, your child protection case falls. It's overreach. And every time they open a file, guys, the second they open a file, they receive a large sum of money just for opening that file yeah for every day it's open they receive more funding and if they come in and do an apprehension and take a child into care oh let's just not talk about how much money like exchange is there like i can't say too much because i have i have to be careful but it's like it drives me to stick it to the system like don't it's there for a reason if somebody's child's being molested right so I often tell people too if you really think they might come in with a court order and apprehend and we're not able to force close this file for you it's nice now that I have lawyers going I'm on standby let me know what you need right and I'm like you need to make a kinship agreement they're like what I'm like You could be a crackhead mom. Your partner could be covered in blood. The police could walk into a domestic. They still cannot apprehend your child into their care. So long as you have something called a kinship agreement in place. Make sure you find somebody that has no priors with child protection services, preferably no criminal record, no addiction issues. They don't need to be blood. This is your child. We do not co-parent with the government.
1: Yeah.
2: Like There's ways you can stop them. So... I do like a little bit of everything, I guess, but I've recently grown my team a little bit more. And now we're just trying to get like that digital marketing stuff, which I'm really not good at. Like I don't like technology, right? And that's why Melissa's like, okay, crash course on Canva. Get, you know, like <laughs> jump on cat. Um, and it's like right now the part that bugs me the most is I don't know about your province there, but over here, the College of Physicians just encourage doctors to have conversations around psychiatric medication yeah. for people that are vaccine hesitant. Yeah, I saw that. And <laughs> this is not about a business opportunity. This is not about like striking when the iron's hot. A lot of people tell me I underprice, like in general, like when, when they, when, when they come in for consults, it's like reasonable, but it's like, I want it to be attainable forever. Yeah. And Most people that come to us are already the oppressed people, the visible minorities, the seniors, the people that the system's screwing over, right? Like this is never about like, yes, I had to find a way to reinvent myself and turn my pain and suffering into purpose, right? And I saw a need for it. And I'm like, nobody's doing this yet. like, yes you know, we got our Canadian frontline nurses and, you know, the Canadian health, whatever, like, and we got CCCA and there's so, but who's helping them not fall through those cracks right now?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, Are well, we allowed so to say a- the name or are we keeping
2: it? we can't? Oh yeah. It's uh www.navicare and A V I K A R E dot C A. Um, our Instagram handle is at NaviCare Inc. Um,
1: i put can, this in the show notes too, Kathy. Yeah,
2: you can totally do that. I just decided that as long as there's breath in me, I needed to create something outside the system where people can jump in as consultants yes. and help navigate this for people so they're not doing it on, on, on their own. Like yes. when I was going through it, there was nowhere I could turn. Yeah, And, you know, there's been cases which are so hard where, you know, I called Kristen and I'm like, listen, I know this person 20 years, their mother-in-law is in the hospital with a stroke after her job and they're not letting the family in, but I can't jump in on this because I cannot remove emotion. So I cannot have that level of professionalism. I'm too close. I can't be objective. I need, you know, your nurse advocate Peroska, to jump in or we'll tag team it. Or if somebody comes through and says, my doctor won't sign my AZ paperwork. Or right. I don't have, family. go, okay, well, we have stone throw health over here, right? Like they have a list of practitioners, it's like telemedicine, or people are like, I'm done with the system, I need to heal. Okay, go to Kelly from Stonehouse, you know, yes. I, I can endorse her products because they've been a big part of my treatment plan, right? So I think collectively, when we all collaborate, we've built something so sustainable moving forward, yes. that there, there's hope finally, right? Yeah. Um, but we've had to be very careful. And it's not just mine. Like, you know, I couldn't have ever done this completely on my own. But it's like, I needed to make sure that this doesn't happen to anybody else again. And yeah. my functional medicine doctor goes, Kat, the average person doesn't know how to do this, though. I go, but that's where we jump in, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yes.
2: because we've kept it very neutral. Like, there's no negative connotation, even the normies that are on the other side that we're still trying to reach or just starting to wake up. Like, my personal page, under like underscore unbreakable underscore cat double underscore, that's very raw. I can be authentic, yeah. I can be, my views can be as unacceptable as I want. There, right? It's my but with the business account, we have to keep it like.
1: Very neutral.
2: I, we've had our pamphlets, we have our pamphlets out in eight clinics across Brampton, Ontario, and Mississauga right now, right?
0: Yeah. And
2: every time I approach a clinic owner, the first thing is, is this fringy? Like, yeah. I get where they're coming from. Like, we can't go put our pamphlets in a hospital, right? Or, yeah. but you know, the naturopathic clinics, the acupuncture clinics, uh, the functional medicine clinics, um, the integrated medical clinics. Um, You know, all the alternative places where people are going oftentimes, because the system has screwed them. Yeah, that's where we need our pamphlets in. So now we had such we were just so inundated. And, you know, we're still trying to work on revising the website. And, you know, there's some challenges, but you know, it's a learning process as we go to. And I think a lot of people don't know about it yet so yeah. or maybe a sponsored ad maybe like we haven't technically even done like a soft launch I don't think but the part where I decided to completely pull out and be done with the system entirely and I'm just going to go back to finish it because I totally forgot this part and the trauma I think of when I when I'm discussing it it comes back in pieces when I got back here I couldn't just leave my cast on forever like
1: yeah I can't
2: Like the atrophy alone was crazy, right? It was now mid February, and I couldn't go to Credit Valley because they threw me under the bus. Toronto Western, even though I had specialists there, said that all of a sudden I'm out of jurisdiction, so I can't go there. Like, nobody wanted to touch me when I got back.
1: I can imagine,
2: right? With a nine foot pole, like, nobody wanted to touch my medical file. So, we find this random clinic in Hamilton. That's like a physio clinic, but a f- like a fracture clinic all in one. Okay. And his doctor removes my cast and fits me with splints. So at least I can wrap them. So other fragility fractures don't re-snap. And he says, would you consider fixing it? You have formed contractures on your Achilles tendons. They both need to be cut and re-lengthened and we would have to re-break all four bones. I oh. said, I said, I will have a discussion with the surgeon. Is he willing to diagnose why it happened? Yeah. Cause there's been a lot of gaslighting and don't tell me I need to talk to a psychiatrist. Cause clearly they backed off finally about that. I'm like, it's not in my head. If I broke four bones. So I went to Hamilton to meet with the surgeon and he agreed to do a, a biopsy while in OR time. And that by the time it was done, I would have a diagnosis. So I signed the paperwork for surgery and it was supposed to be the day after mother's day, 2021, I was supposed to present. And they wanted me to do a COVID test pre-surgical, right? And I remember talking to that department on the phone and saying, can you tell me what thresholds that you're running this test at? And they said 40 something. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, I'm not, I'm not going to consent to a, um, a swab. I'm not like so I went though and did the blood work because before any surgery, you have to do blood work, right? It's like mandatory, like pre-surgical blood work. And even when my son had his tonsils out, I wish I knew back then I was a young mom what I know today because I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. Like even if you have the slightest cold or flu, they'll they'll postpone your surgery. Like you you have to be a hundred percent going into surgery. Right. All my blood work came back a hundred percent normal anything my health card does like I can't make this up so my functional medicine doctor says you're getting sicker I can actually see it you're covered in bruises everywhere like cytokine storms yeah who knows what they've done to you let me just do something and Doug Ford had closed down all their clinics because they weren't allowed to be you know like like certain clinics were allowed to be open certain weren't yeah. So live blood analysis clinics were not allowed to be open. But what she did is she rented out the room within her clinic and she booked eight patients to come in and offset the cost. Right. And she goes, have you ever done a live blood analysis? So I'm like, what's that? She goes, basically we take one little drop of blood, put it between two pieces of glass under a microscope. You can watch, you can videotape, you can take pictures. She's just going to look at your blood cells within that one drop of blood. It'll tell us a lot. Every single blood cell had a thousand spike proteins in it. There was a very indicative bullseye in some of my blood cells. You could see parasites, which is not uncommon. Okay, that's organic matter, but you could also see little microchip nanoparticles attached to my blood cells. And the live blood analysis lady goes, Have you been vaccinated?
0: Oh, shit.
2: and immediately, what happened in that hospital and PI, right? It came back in my head. And I said, holy shit, they don't need my consent. They were rolling it out. I don't know, but I definitely didn't agree to it. Why? She goes, either you have a missed COVID where, you know, like it it accelerated, like if you don't get that early treatment or you've been jabbed, but it doesn't matter because we can start clearing this one layer at a time. So doctor immediately faxes 30 days of doxycycline to my pharmacy that is like the strongest antiviral. Like they use it to treat malaria. Like I had blood infections, co-infections that were overlapping. So I immediately start the, the doxy, right? Like I got on it right away. And then the surgeon called me to say why I didn't present like for, for, for OR. Yeah. And I said to him, because I have a systemic blood infection that was almost septic, so had you put me in your OR, I wouldn't have made it out of that surgery, sir. He goes, "What do you mean?" I said, "I'm on 30 days of doxycycline." As I'm on the phone, I can hear him like typing, like looking shit up.
0: He's yeah. like, oh,
2: "I see here that Choppers Drug Mart filled it and this doctor prescribed it, but where did you get this blood work done?" I said, "I think the better question is why Life Labs didn't catch it again."
1: Yeah. I said I'm done.
2: I'm so done. I don't care if I never walk again. Maybe one day, years later, I'll leave the country. Like, I'm so done right now. Um, So after that, that was like, but again, most people don't know to follow and listen to what their body's saying, right? We've been so programmed to just trust these doctors. And what I noticed, too, in the year and a half I've been doing this is the hundreds and hundreds of cases that have come through me some are so like you could make horror movies out of these and i vet it hard like i'm jumping in on the phone with these hospitals so it's not like they're hamming up their stories they're delaying it on purpose like they're they're running out the clock on people like it's a basketball game and then when you do perish they'll just write covid death on your chart so that they can get that payout and, exactly. and keep those numbers escalating to keep those yeah. lockdowns happening, right? Like, wow. and I'm like, I can't make this up. Like, so, and then I just started like becoming more and more vocal about it. Like, how do I keep this in my moral compass, like in good conscience? How do I not talk about this? How do I not educate people on on, on what's happening or that there's people that can help out there, right? Yeah. So I've been very careful about where I go speak. Um, Very, very careful. Like, I think I spoke once next to Sarah. You know, I was outside the College of Physicians, uh, not once, but twice. But again, I'm speaking next to some of the bravest doctors that are fighting for their licenses, right? It's not like I'm a, you know, a random rally not that there's anything wrong with those two right like everybody's got a role to play but when I'm on that microphone or when I'm doing even this podcast I'm not used to censoring what I say but I know that I have to shelf a lot and one week before my statute of limitations was up like I had given up Like, I know I can self-represent. I self-represented in my family court case and fired my lawyer when I was like just 27 and I won it. Like, I won it hands down and I can work that system too, like if you can, but this is bigger. I can't go into a hospital and give them a shakedown and, you know, go in for a personal injury settlement or something like on my own, like, you know, without that letterhead. So a lawyer, I won't say who, approached me with that case where the home birth went really wrong and long story short it was very successful and I always try to like under promise and over deliver and I don't get called in on all of them most of the time my team's now picking up a lot of it but if it's really hard ones like that like I'd rather just do it myself um because I know I can confidently talk their language to them yeah when it ended she sent me a text and she's like how do we grow your team? What do you need? Workshops, legal help, finances, like talk to me, like, how do do we grow this? And I said, what do you mean? And she goes, why don't we get a team of personal injury lawyers together? Like, let's take these hospitals, bring them down. And I said, I haven't even filed my case. And on the 20th of November, 2022, it comes up to the two-year statute of limitations, like I need to think about this. And she's like, wait, what? So she throws me a couple of kick-ass personal injury lawyers. I decided on which one to go with. I won't say his name. And he says, listen, you might have a statute of limitations within two days from now. But if we file a notice of action, what that does is it buys you 30 more days to get your ducks in in a row. And do a formal statement, a claim against each defendant. But amazing, you cannot report all 42 physicians that we know helped cover up what happened to you. Yes. It just kept snowballing, right? Um, right? Because if you cannot unequivocally nail them against the wall, they can counter sue.
0: Right.
2: right. So you have to have that, like, undoubtable evidence like against them and so I'm going to let you retain me for the purposes of filing just the notice of action I'm not saying I won't represent you moving forward but that's a whole other conversation right now we're working against the clock we literally have two days left so I need you to give me an itemized list of all the physicians and which hospitals and institutions are the most complacent so
1: Hey, Catherine, I'm sorry to interrupt, but we have to wrap
2: up pretty yeah, quick here. So I'm going to wrap up. So that's what we did. And I went ahead and did it. So now I have a court file number finally. But it, it was really hard. And it was really like, I'm grateful for everyone that helped raise that money. Like, because we're, we're almost there. So I don't feel I need to plug that out. Um, so yeah, I'm scared, but I'm excited at the same time.
1: That's amazing.
2: Yeah. I think there needs to be accountability. Yeah,
1: exactly.
2: I think that they get away with this because it's not it's no longer about me it's about the hundreds of thousands of people that they also went and did this to yeah
0: Yeah, totally they were trying to make you part of that statistic desperately trying to make you part of that statistic
1: they didn't know who they were messing with
2: like yeah it was really really difficult like I'm scared honestly to be honest like I don't even know how I'm going to proceed and get through this but at the same time I know that If 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 it wasn't right that like being scared just reaffirms to me that it's the right thing to do like right now
1: yeah
2: Um, they can't get away with this and I'm trying to set a precedent too um, at the same time wow Wow. yeah that's 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 the situation
0: that is a crazy story guys
1: insane but
2: but it's not unique like I'm not special they didn't just do it to me the only difference is that I documented every step of the way. Yeah. Like, I didn't have a pen, I didn't have a paper, but I would go make Facebook posts, and I would put the privacy settings to private, like only I could do it. You had your
1: phone with you, so you could do that.
2: Right, so fast forward now, as my Facebook memories come up, I take the little lockbox, you know, icon off, and I turn it to public, and I reshare the memory out. Wow. I knew to journal that way every step of the way. So and I have to be really careful because there's a there's a court case filed right? Like yeah. how I share online and and how much I don't. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, well, um I'm going to put all the ways to contact you in the show notes and I'll send you a message later, but um I thank you for sharing your story and your vulnerability and for yeah. doing what you're doing because I think like you said, you're not the only one. And there's so many people out there that need this information and um, we'll do everything we can in our power to share care so other people can get this information too. That would be
2: really, really awesome.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. for, yeah. Sure. for sure.
1: But we'll be in touch. And um, again, thank you for what you're doing because you're giving hope to a lot of people. Thank both of you
2: for what you do because you get a lot of stuff out there that is that needs to be out there.
0: Yeah. 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 yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs>